Hi, Tim. Hi, Michelle. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. Okay. How are you? I'm here. <laughs> I'm here with Tim Andreas. He is a retired architect from uh, California. I've known him for many years. Um, he is here, and we are going to have a podcast. Um, this episode's podcast is sponsored by Priority Door and Window. Doors and windows on Miramar Rates enables financial store and window showroom to the public. We specialize in quality, custom, and unique doors and windows for every style of home. Priority Doors and Windows offers excellent service and selection with windows by top manufacturers like Fleetwood, Lachampina, Millsguard, and more. Highest value of competitive prices. Visit our showroom off Miramar Road. Just look for San Diego's largest flag. See us online at PriorityDW.com. Thank you. And they have Fleetwood windows, which Tim had suggested as a sponsor. Um, so Tim's motto is delivery inspiring beauty. While preparing for a team retreat in 2019 on expertise versus opinion, Tim reflected on the four distinct phases of his career evolution, and he realized that while he had been an architect, interior designer, a digital innovator, and a leader, what he had always done was strive to deliver a beautiful project inspiring awe and wonder. That had been his singular purpose from conception to execution. He had pivoted and progressed to gain experience across the breadth of design in order to understand the complete picture from the perspective of both the client and the designer, to learn that design is ultimately about creating emotion. Thank you, Tim, for um, joining me. So how are you doing? I'm good, Michelle, how are you? Fine. <laughs> so what are your first recollections of experiencing architecture? Uh, you know, I'm going to go real low tech today, I think. Um, and I've been thinking about this a lot, actually, because I'm I'm actually developing a an online lecture um, for a series that I'm going to do for a school in London. And one of them is about my career arc. And I've thought back all the way to I was a little kid and what formative things kind of influenced me to be an architect. And I'd say the biggest thing um, is that I grew up in a split-level house. Um, mm -hmm. It was a very banal, colonial, split-level house in a suburb. But it was really spatially interesting compared to any other families that I knew. Because, you know, you sort of, on the ground floor, you had the garage and the family room. And then there was the basement below that, which dad redid with wood paneling and served as sort of playroom slash adult bar with a beer tap in the refrigerator, you know, and then <laughs> up above you went, you went up a half a flight of stairs to enter. And that was your living room with sort of family dining room all in one space. And then up another flight, of half a flight of stairs was the bedrooms. And it was... Mm -hmm. You know, a three-bedroom house, not very big, 
but my bedroom was at the top of that half a flight of stairs that went up from the living room. And so you were always, you know, just, you were always going up and down those stairs for one. Um, And I think it really just impacted your understanding of space. Um, I remember doing something a few years ago um, where I was working with somebody who actually had um, memory problems. Um, not an old person. It wasn't dementia. It was uh, um, like she said, problems with short-term memory. And I learned that, you know, when you're a little kid and you crawl and you go under things and you climb over things, that's really um, influential in your development, the development of your brain and the development of your understanding to your environment. So I think mm-hmm. growing up in a split level house just really impacted me. I was, I was always like, there were these spaces like where you'd have these hidden cubby holes where mom would always hide the Christmas presents that would be sort of under this half space where the closet like was next to something. And then like it was underneath half the space and those sorts of things. So as a, at a young age, I was always, I was always kind of trying to figure out how everything related together in that house. Um, And then as I looked at my career later, like the first project I ever worked on in college was actually, we had a project to do a house design. Um, And I designed this house that spiraled up on levels, like four rooms on a plan. And each one was Uh like a quarter of a flight of stairs above the other. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, and then later on, I did a, um, I worked on a project in Kosovo um, for a client at um, a house interior design. And that was oddly enough, a split level house um, in a, you know, a sort of an American style development. But I've always really been fascinated by that, by the, the connection of the staircase and how those spaces connect and even how you know, the stair was a place that was part of the living space and you used to sit on it all the time, you know, Mm -hmm. and interact with people or sit on it and watch people and that kind of thing. So, you know, I've, I've never been one to, you know, I remember those late night sessions in college where you'd stay up all night with your friends and you'd opine about architecture and the difference between building and architecture. (laughs) <laughs> and I don't, I don't buy that anymore. Like that house was architecture, even though it was, you know, designed by a builder. Um, it was really influential to me. I grew up in an old house because, you know, it was an older area, like kind of, you know, late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, and probably when we lived in, it was probably maybe 75 years old, I think. Yeah, it's probably 70, yeah, around 75 years old. Um, so um, I can definitely remember the stair. Um, you know, we came into this entry hall. And the thing about some of those older homes is, you know, kind of the entry hall was like at least as big as like half of the rooms in the house. You know, that was not our entry house. hall. Pardon me? That was not our house. The door opened right into the room. <laughs> No, it was, no, I mean, but it was small. It was small, right. right? I mean, it was, it was small. It was a small, it was a smaller house. 
you know, well, of course, I had a basement, right? Like all the, you know, it was brick house, right? The base, uh, you know, basement, first floor, second floor attic, which the attic, of course, was fully built out, right? Um, so there were two more rooms up there. So there were four rooms on the second floor and then, you know, another. And then at one point, you know, which happens in all of these old houses, right? At one point, they they must have divided it in some way because there we had like a bedroom that had like a kitchen sink in it and like cabinetry. <laughs> so right. they must have, yeah, they must have divided at some point and then they took down the wall or whatever. But but we had stairs, but we had these stairs, like the stairs were wider going up to the landing. And then there was this big stained glass window that we had there. And then there were these other stairs that went down into the kitchen, you know, so there were these back stairs, which, uh, which I always wondered, you know, and people were like, oh, those were the servant stairs. And I'm like, well, the house wasn't that big and it wasn't like it was this luxury house, but you know, it's like, I couldn't figure out like why those there's stairs. When you did go down those stairs, you could go down the basement stairs also, you know, and of course, like the laundry was down there and stuff. So I was like wondering if that was a bit, but I can always remember, you know, the stairs. And of course, you know, they're oak, you know, they were oak stairs and, and I mean, very, you know, very beautiful. And you can't, you know, I mean, you can't, um, you know, you can't recreate those, right. you know, and then yeah, sitting that- on the stairs and getting our boots, right. Cause we grew up in, right. you know, we both grew up in Pennsylvania, you know, getting all of our winter gear on to go outside and <laughs> Well, we used to climb because it was a switchback stair. So you could look all the way down to, you know, the bottom to the landing. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. of course, we used, to climb yeah. over, we used to climb over the wrought iron railing and jump down to the landing yeah. at the bottom. But I think, you know, it's funny because it was a, you know, like I said, a colonial style house, which meant it had, you know, fake aluminum shutters. Um but it was really modern in a sense, in the sense that yeah. Yeah. it wasn't divided between living on the ground floor and bedrooms on the upper floor. It was very integrated that way. And I think that was, yeah, you know, yeah. made, yeah. you know, gave yeah. me a spatial, um, a spatial understanding from a young age. Actually, we, my parents built the house and we moved into it like on my fourth birthday. Um, so from a formative, they actually built it. So did you have an architect, or they went? They picked no, the builder no, plan. No, no, they picked no. the builder plan. It was a builder. <laughs> it was a builder. Um, um you they 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 picked a. Did they did they pick a builder plan? Yeah, they picked a plan, and then the the builder. It was on a corner. And when they showed up and the builder had oriented the house 90 degrees from the way they wanted it. And they're like, no, we don't want it facing that way because then the backyard no. would face the only neighbor. And there was no other neighbor even on the other side of that neighbor. So they had to rotate it. But when they did that, they had to make it narrower. So the garage was like super narrow. You could barely fit a car in it. And the, the family room was kind of tiny and, you know, but it was cozy. And I remember it had pl- it had real plaster. It wasn't lath on the walls. It was that kind of perforated, you know, cement button board, board or something. But they were real plaster yeah, button, walls. Button board. You, yeah. you, know, you couldn't paint. You couldn't paint for like a year. 
So you moved in and you had these plas dusty plaster walls. But, yeah, I, I never heard about not having to paint. So you, you, you couldn't paint for here because I, I, I never well, heard that before. That's what they said. Maybe my parents just didn't have the money for the painting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's what we said. That's what they always said. And it had radiant ceiling heat, which was something I actually really? lived. You know, yeah, it was radiant ceiling heat, which was really comfortable. I actually hate forced air heating. Um, I had oh, steam yeah, heat forced air too. Yeah, I, but uh, um, it was it was meant to be really cheap. It was 1968. They built this, and we actually lived uh -huh. in we lived in an area of Pennsylvania that was served by the Three Mile Island nuclear power plant. <laughs> so <laughs> nuclear energy was supposed to be really cheap. Yeah, um, and it wasn't necessarily. So. Well, we still we still survived, right? We still yeah, survived we, three miles. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I didn't have any kids with uh, three eyes or anything. I don't know. I'm not saying it's the best thing. I just did it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, what three classic buildings do you like and why? Okay, I'm going to be real low tech here too. I don't have okay. specific examples. Um, but I'm going to start with a medieval cloister. Okay. Um, any kind of courtyard building, actually, like a Roman courtyard house, atrium house. But I think a medieval cloister, um, especially one with that's vaulted with arches um, and a fountain in the middle. Um, and I think there's something so sort of quintessentially architectural about a cloister as something that humans create to sort of contain and create a perfect world in the world of chaos because mm -hmm. it's so internalized. Um, so which, which like ones have you... I like the sound of it when you're walking in this sort of stone spaces and you can sort of hear that echo i used to live um i lived in new york city for a little while up in um washington heights just above mm -hmm. the george washington bridge um a really amazing neighborhood very high up it's almost we were like a block from the highest point in manhattan and it was within walking distance of fort tryon park which is where the cloisters are um the mets um sort of agglomeration of medieval cloisters that were imported from Europe stone by stone and rebuilt into that museum. Um, you know, I can't think of particular of ones, you know, studying in Italy, you'd be in so many of them. You know, and that's why it's not yeah. like it's, it's not like there's one in particular. I think they're just such an amazing type of space um, mm -hmm. that I love to go to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember going um, right through the... Oh, oh. God. <laughs> do you want me to do my second one? 
Yeah, I was just trying to think of a cloister that I, yeah, I was just, go, go ahead, go on with your second one. Yeah. Uh, my second would be um, sort of just a classic American pole barn, you know, like a, okay. a cow barn with a hayloft type of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. My mother's sister lived on a farm and I used to go there as a kid in the summer. Um, and my cousins would build these like forts out of hay bales and things. And I just love the, that sense of light that you get with the light sort of streaming through the boards in the barn and the dust mm-hmm. filtering the air. Um, and I actually worked um, when I was living in Wisconsin. Um, you know, remember that period maybe 10 years ago where it seemed like everybody, wherever you went, People were using barn siding, right? And at one point I thought, well, aren't we going to run out of barn siding? And I can tell you, we're never going to run out of barn siding. (laughs) Um, But I love, like, I just love looking at barns when you're driving through the countryside and they're sort of, I actually witnessed one over the course of time just completely collapse in Wisconsin. Like one day there. And while it had been leaning, and it's kind of tragic, but it had been leaning for a really long time, and then it it was just gone. Um, but I, I we had looked at one that um, looking to restore one, and and I learned a lot about um, those old barns. There was something like the ecosystem of a barn, and its and its sort of reliability and its longevity actually relied on having cows in it to a large degree. The combination of the cows and the hay, like kind of kept it like warm and humidified and better climate control. And once they're not in use anymore, like once there's a hole in the roof, if you don't fix it, you're done with. It'll just... Uh The water damage will get in and you, it's not being controlled anymore. And that's when it just starts to completely deteriorate. Um, mm. But I think there's something about this, again, the, the, the smell of a barn, the sound of a barn, the things that aren't just the visual things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it walking oh, yeah. in it, yeah. echo. Um, and I actually had a friend, one of the best weddings I was ever went to was a friend of mine got married in rural Pennsylvania and the the whole thing was at a, at a converted barn, just like a very simple old converted barn. Um, so that's yeah. my second one. Um, and then I'll say the third one's a real, a real building. It's been a really long time. I'd say since I went specifically to like look at a building, um, probably the last one was the, um, this isn't, we're going to talk about it anyway. It was the, um, this sort of home and studio of Elio Saarinen outside of Helsinki. And it's yes. called Vitra. Vitris. Yeah. Yes. It's such an yes. amazing place. Very much yes, like it is. in Wisconsin. I've been to Taliesin West. Well, you and I were there together. Yeah. Um, but yeah. that was, that was probably the last time it's been about 10 years since I sort of made a pilgrimage to go see something. But huh. if there were one building I still want to see, um, would be the Maison de Verre in Paris, that house by Pierre Chirot with yes. the glass, with the glass block. Yes. Um, with that sort of thin you know, Anne Foudron's favorite classic uh, building is Maison de yeah. Verre. And then Tom Kundig was going to say Maison de Verre, but really? he said, but he, yes, 
But he said, oh, somebody already said it. And I said, yes, Anne Fougeron oh. said it. And now you're, yeah. Well, wow. Now you're sitting in the bear. Yeah. Um, no, I think, you know, it, it had that glass block that had sort of the circle impression in it. Um, I think it was, um, you know, that was modern. It was modernism before minimalism when modernism actually had detailed transitions of materials, you know, and sort of like coved floors and, you know, industrial plumbing fixtures. And, and then, you know, the, the steel elements and the wood and the, the glass block walls. And I think glass block is one of those materials that really gets a bad rap, but like just a block from me here in Chicago there was this tiny little coffee shop in an old building. It had a low ceiling, like not even eight feet, I don't think. And in the in the um, bay windows, they they had just renovated with glass block, which always looks really ugly, right, right from the outside. But the light quality it was south facing, but the light quality in there was so gorgeous, you know. And it was kind of this like you know it was old wood and and you know, vintage, you know, sort of classic 80s coffee shop, coffee yeah. house, vintage furniture. But the light quality was really amazing. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, for a lot, number of reasons, I, I think, yeah, Maison de Verre would be something that I would love, love someday to see. And any, any building like that that has big kind of industrial windows. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I saw Vitrisk when uh when um when I was in Denmark that we went to um we went on a Scandinavia tour. So we went to Sweden and um Finland. And so we went, you know, we went to Vitrisk. Um yeah, I mean I I was just I was amazed. I mean, I loved it. Um yeah. and then of course the whole story, you know, is kind of strange. But yeah. <laughs> What? As far as, as far as what? What? What story? Oh, because they were all right. There were the two the, the two swapping? families. Pardon me? The yeah. wife swapping? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's sort of another parallel to Frank Lloyd Wright, isn't it? A bit. <laughs> it's, it's so yeah, but I mean, I think that they were beautiful buildings. I mean, of course, they were there. It was raining, of course. Like it was like most, uh, right? It was gray and rainy Finland. So it's. Oh, no, I was there. It was sunny. It was actually the end of it was late May, I think, or June. So it was like the longest time of the year. So, you um, know, it was light out at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Um, but I think that architecture yeah. really. I've always been a fan of Eliel Saarinen, well, Eero Saarinen as well, but um, those architects that worked at a time kind of in transition between phases. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. From a more, like, they're um, more, I mean, they were modernizing traditional architecture before right. they moved into, yeah, yeah, more right. of a trend, yeah, yeah. Where you kind of like look at it and maybe on the surface you're thinking like, oh, it's traditional, but then you really have to, you know, it's like, no, it's, it's very modern for those tradition, you know, it's like they were moving forward into something, you know, into something else and, you know, and experimenting, right? Yeah.
Um, well, we saw many barns on our journey from Los Angeles to to Sheboygan. <laughs> oh, you're going to tell everyone? You're going to disclose the fact that we that we rode together in a car for five days when I moved from Los Angeles to Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Did yeah. we see a lot of well, barns? I don't really remember. Uh, yeah, no, I think we did. And then there were a lot of just, you know, the, the, I mean, just vast nothingness. Yes. I mean, it just vast. I've driven you know, across the country. Things, I've well, done that trip three times now, not the same route that we took, but I've done it now twice through Nebraska and Colorado and Utah. And I, I don't need to drive that road again. Well, remember we went to see the we went to see the Corn Palace. Remember, we went yeah, to see the Corn Palace. We went to see the Corn Palace, and we like we're like, okay, well, I could have I could have not seen that or whatever. And then we get thirty minutes down the road, and then there's the, the Laura Ingalls Wilder, and we're like, we could have gone to the Laura Ingalls Wilder. I thought there was, was a few hours. Off. I thought that was off a few hours off the road. Laura Ingalls Wilder. The Laura Ingalls Wilder one? Yeah, I thought that was a few hour detour. I never did get there. Oh, I don't know. But I mean, Corn Palace wasn't off the right? That was no, that but that was maybe after either. we had lunch, didn't we? I th- I thought the Corn Palace was amazing. You did? Yeah. <laughs> well, they were rented, they were replacing one of the murals on the outside. Yeah. That's true American it, folk art. It is true American folk art. It definitely is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like you got to see the big donut in LA. So you got to see Corn Palace. Right. <laughs> well, um, we were also the only people at Mount Rushmore. Yes. That's which PM. is, yes, yes. Which everybody like says, oh, the crowd. And I'm like, well, you need to go. <laughs> you need to go the first week of November at seven o'clock at night and there's nobody there. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, that was, that was amazing. That was amazing. Yeah. When we were, yeah, we were the only people there. It was what really super, really cold. I don't remember it being that cold. I remember the town being totally shut down already when we drove through it, which was a little creepy, very sort of twin peaks. Yeah. And that there were probably people watching us, but we just didn't oh, know yeah. where. Well, I felt safe, yeah, because I'm sure there were security cameras all over the place. Yeah. Didn't the lights we were... go on as we walked down that flag, <laughs> that flag like promenade sort of the, the flag came on? Yeah. And the parking lots, right? The huge parking lots with the like to drive. I'm right. like, yeah, you really have to, you just have to go first week of November at seven o'clock at night. Yeah. There's nobody there. Yeah. 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 Um, so what do you like about being an architect? What do I like about being an architect? Well, I'm going to go back to that, that intro um, that you made. Um, the things I thought about when I was preparing for that, that event with my team. And what I realized, and I and in full disclosure, retired architect, I retired my architecture license last year because I, I didn't really feel like it's really what I do anymore in terms of 
you know, I don't need to spend, I don't need to do 24 hours worth of ADA continuing education every two years to, um, not that it's not worthwhile if you do that. I just don't do that yeah. anymore. Um, yeah. and, and sustainability, had, ADA yeah, and sustainability. Had, it's not <laughs> what I've really done say in the last 10 years of my career. Um, and I think at one point, like being an architect was like my identity, you know, when, when you first start out, um, and you work really hard to get that license too. <laughs> um, I mean, we probably, I took the exam when it was like a five day or a four day in-person thing. Right. Um, yeah, I did too. I think it was five it days, right? Wasn't it five days? It was four. I think it was four, four. I don't remember now. Um, two and a half days worth of multiple choice questions, a half a day of site design, and then a full day um, design test. And I remember, like the night before the design test, I went into the office to get a to get a chair, and there was a package on my desk, and I looked at it, and I thought my name was spelled wrong, my last name, and I was literally so brain dead that I had to look at my business card to know how to spell my name. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, I think it used to be a huge part of my identity being an architect. And then I realized it wasn't anymore. Um, and I realized over the course of all the years of doing architecture, I think when you start out, you're just so excited to build something, right? You spend all this time in school creating concepts and presentations and, and you know, telling stories to people. And then if you're lucky, you get to go out and you get to build things. And I was really lucky to go out and get build things from, from the get-go. Um, mm-hmm. Shout out to Koning Eisenberg Architecture. Amazing. Yay! And, <laughs> and Julie Eisenberg. Amazing experience. I worked there for 11 years. Um, and over the course of time, it's like you, 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 put, you sink all your heart and soul into something. And then when it's done, you have to give it up because it's not really yours anymore. And you kind of have to come to grips with that. And, you know, and over the course of time, I realized it's, it's really the process of it. That is the reward. It's the Mm -hmm. getting to think in a certain way and to get into that zone. You know, I think what people in the world of positive psychology call flow you get into that flow state when you're drawing something um, and you are, it's like the idea is just flowing through your arm to your hand, to your pen. Um, Cause that's how I draw with a pen um, in black ink people, black ink. Oh. Um, no, I told my team once that I couldn't read plans in purple. And I realized I really couldn't read a plan in purple because I'd spent my life drawing in black ink and you you build up this repository of drawings in your head you know and they you process it in a certain way and you look at it in a certain way um and so and and also and also purple does not reproduce well in a copy yeah so So, it's just like there a shout out to all those people out there who are also highlighting things don't highlight drawings because that reads as black also So over the course of time, I really, it was really that process that I love so much. Um, And 
I've come, I've come to the conclusion. And so like, you know, also you, you know, I, I worked in hotels, I, you know, boutique hotels and sort of that industry transition to sort of the, the design hotel um, or the lifestyle hotel. It was something we never would have talked about um, in the world of hotels that I worked in. Um, but I think in that sense of design's not a product, design is a process. And mm-hmm. ultimately, while you're creating a thing, what you're really doing is creating a thing that people have a reaction to. And it doesn't, doesn't really matter without the people having the reaction to it and the interaction yeah. with it. And that interaction and that reaction is emotion. So mm-hmm. ultimately, you're using you know, space and light and all those things. And that's why when you ask me what were my favorite buildings, you know, I, I just thought about those places that really have speak to many emotions, not just visual. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And yeah. that what you're doing and that's the, and, and that over the course of your career, you build an expertise that, you know, the reward is, you know, giving people these experiences that they can't necessarily imagine for themselves. Like say you're redesigning someone's house or, you know, I did a lot of work in the beginning of my career that was remodel work, you know, mm-hmm. additions and remodels and yeah. Yeah. work in a firm that had a great design profile and people came to us because they wanted our design aesthetic Um, But it was always just so rewarding to be able to, and I was young at the time, like, you know, to be able to work with these people who at the time were, you know, maybe a generation older than me um, and just, you know, create something and you realize how most people don't really have the, the visual imagination to think, to imagine what a space is going to be like, Mm -hmm. you know? And that's so you learn to really value that skill that you have. Um, and I remember at, when I started working at Kohler, my boss, I worked, I worked in, the, in the tech services department. So I was on a team with like oh, the head really? of transportation that's and head of aviation and head of operating systems and the head of all these weird you know, things that had nothing to do with what I've always done. And my boss t- like, told me I was futuristic. Like, I'd never thought of myself as being futuristic, really. But when he talked about it, it's like, well, yeah, I guess you're right. Because being able to design the building, being able to design a building and have it turn out to be what you think it should be is really creating the future. Yeah, Uh, yeah, yeah. No, you, yeah, you're creating, yeah, yeah. And so I learned, like, that process. you know, just that process of going through, you know, you've been given a problem, you have to satisfy, you know, lots of different things, budget, function, schedule, et cetera, et cetera. But then you also have to make, you have to make it, you have to make people feel something from it when it's mm-hmm. done. And, you know, something that I really learned when I was at Kohler working with this step with the team you know, that you really like, it's not just visual imagination, but you have to have the, you have to be able to imagine what it's going to feel like. Yeah. 
in order for it to really be successful, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. that's what I, that's what I've always liked about being an architecture. And subsequently, I, you know, being an interior designer, um, I'm a little bit of an oddball in that I had a career as an interior designer um, after being an architect um, and, and have a whole appreciation for window treatments that most architects don't have. <laughs> you know what? There's, there's like two, there's two window treatments that well maybe three i suppose okay that that i will go with okay what well, maybe maybe four now uh, i don't know okay just just like very simple blinds very simple roll roll shades just simple roll shades yeah yeah like the ones that we had in the in that little bungalow that we had in Venice where they mounted it on the bottom and then we oh, roll rolled up them shade. up and roll up hooked shades. them. Yes. Roller shades yeah. and, and hooked them on the thing. So we could still see like the top, see parts, the top lights. And then you could get those. And then um, just window shears that are just very, okay. Yeah. A wall of shears can solve a lot of problems. Yes. Yes. And then and um and linen like I have like these linen curtains in a in a closet floor to ceiling linen curtains and then velvet drapes those are like the okay. <laughs> yeah those yeah. are the window treatments that even though I have no I have no window treatments anywhere that I some in the I, the my adult kids have curtains in their room right because they've had them there since they were younger but um otherwise there's no other there's no other window treatments on any of my windows yeah my brother actually installed some shades in the one bathroom because he said people could see in i'm like nobody's looking at you so it's <laughs> but, uh, it's and so we just leave it up i mean he's not here anymore we just leave it open all the time but yeah yeah. So what 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 window treatments? And and um uh I mean obviously, you know, you worked for Ian Schrager um doing the, you know, while you were at Koning Eisenberg working on the Mondrian and then, you know, and then a lot of the different hotels. And then you also had some your own firm and and did the hotels that, you know, in London and other places. So um what are some of your experiences or what do you think that are your, that are kind of like the, like the best, the best experiences that you created there? The best experiences I created. As far as emotion, is emotion, right? Like it's a hotel, it's emotion. I know well, I it's think, the one um, hotel room actually, or whatever. One of yeah. the lectures, one of the lectures I'm preparing is about, um, the hotels I did in London, um, Sanderson mm-hmm. and St. Martin's Lane. Mm-hmm. Um, and talking about hospitality and brain and, um, and there's this really great, um, it, it's been made into a number of videos that you can find on Vimeo or YouTube, but there's this talk that Ira Glass, the, um, this American life, um, uh-huh. writer, yeah. He talks about the gap um, and he mm-hmm. talks about, you know, when you're first starting out, you have, he, he refers to it as taste, which is a word that I really despise. Um, but, 
I think, yeah, you need to start out with a good taste, but you need to develop expertise and experience. Um, but he talks about when you're first starting out, you you have really great taste, but you can't really ex necessarily execute something really well. Like mm -hmm. you just don't have that skill set and what it takes to sort of close that gap and how much time it takes and how much, you know, effort and you can, you know, you, it takes a lot of work and you finally get there um, and sort of encouraging younger people, you know, don't give up. Like we all go through this. Right. Um, and mm -hmm. I'd say that those projects were about say 10 years into my, my working in interiors, 25 years into my actual design career post-college. Mm -hmm. um, and I was in a position where, because it was post-Great Recession, I had my own business, but it was just me. Um, mm -hmm. And I managed to get these two projects because of the work that I'd done. So it was a weird position. of, And it was also, um, I, the, everyone that was at the brand was new. So I was kind of the keeper of the secret sauce of uh -huh. what the brand was. Um, and so it was very strange in the sense of the, you know, doing something on your own. I have hired people to work with me and I collaborated with artists and people to make things. Um, but I think it was the, the, the best, the best version of closing the gap of what I needed mm -hmm. to do. Um, mm -hmm in compared to you know the level of expectation being so high to recreate you know these designs and it was something that bothered me in the beginning a lot that they'd always they would always say that i had reimagined philippe stark designs it's like there was nothing left <laughs> like, <laughs> like it was almost all new but he still got the credit um, and I, I really came to, I came to, peace, I made my peace with that later. Um, my name is on their website still, but I, I made my peace with that. Um, it was kind of like collaborating with him, but not in person where you have to, you know, sort of try to create a story of what you think is going on, but then you um, have to totally reinvent it, make it have that same emotion, but be all new. Mm -hmm. um, and one of them is very decorative um, or is, you know, it's about decoration, say. And one of them mm -hmm. is much more experiential. So they were also very, um, they were very different. And part of the goal was to make them even more different than they were. Because while they were different to us, a, a lot of people would probably think they looked almost exactly the same. Um, but to us, they were different as designers. Uh -huh. And the goal was to kind of make them you know, bigger, better, more luxurious, more comfortable, but sort of maintain that spark. Um, and I think they're both still in service today. The photos are still on their websites. It's 10 years later. I think they might be redoing. Um, I heard that they were going to actually, they were going to, that Stark was going to redo Sanderson after I did it. So, um, but I think they were. Oh, he's remodeling. He's he's re he's redoing Tim Andreas. Yeah, I don't think they would actually say that. Um, but I think those those were two projects, and I think Lodge Kohler, um, the hotel that we designed in Green Bay. Uh -huh. Green Bay. I can never remember how they pronounced it. Green Bay. They pronounce it Green Bay. It's not Green Bay. It's Green Bay. <laughs> 
Um, Green Bay, yeah. Green Bay. <laughs> but that was a really great experience um, working with my team and working with Herb Kohler and, you know, just kind of the trying to create, you know, it's, I think it might be the only four diamond luxury sports themed hotel, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, you know, trying to really to, to create a brand um, mm. around something, you know, like a company like that. Um, so that was a pretty rewarding experience. Yeah. So what would you like to say about the future of architecture? Oh God, you know, I, it's funny as I'm, as I've been working on these lectures and looking at all this stuff and thinking about it, cause I'm mainly ta I'm talking to interior designers. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was funny. I, uh, and these are the lectures that you're doing for the school. In yeah. England. For a school in London. And so I remember when I was working on something in, uh, one of the last projects I did at Kohler, I redesigned the furniture in the corporate office lobby, which had not been done for 40 years. Um, and it was old Baker furniture from when they rebuilt Baker, well, from when they bought Baker. And so we were, in a, we were designing everything. And, you know, it was right across the courtyard from where my office was. So I made sure we went mm -hmm. over there a lot and we would buy, you know, yards of fabric to look at it and all this stuff. And one of the people that I worked with was like, said to me as we were comparing like five different velvets she's like oh you oh you need to see it and i'm like yeah i need to see it you don't need to see it um because i think you need to you can only do so much with your imagination um and it's as i've been thinking about you know speaking to interior designers and the work that i've done in interior design i realized that as an interior designer i really do need to see it much more um because and i think there's a reason for that i'm going somewhere with this believe it or not okay okay um, okay I'm, you, I'm thinking you, i'm wondering if it's the same place i'm going with it no, that you yeah go ahead on, you sit on it right mm -hmm. and it's actually harder to imagine the way velvet is going to look in the light from one direction or another. And part of the project was about, you know, having different materials in the same color palette and how you move through the space and trying to create a life in the space that nobody's really going to be sitting in most of the time. Right. And mm -hmm. so I've, I've really thought about like, and, and maybe it's because I don't have as much experience actually as an interior designer. And I never took courses in fabric technology or anything like that. But um, I need to see it more when I'm an interior designer. You know, I need to see those materials together, how they look in different light and that kind of thing. Where in architecture, it made me realize that architecture is kind of an abstraction like other than the floor that you walk on and the doorknobs and the handrails, mm -hmm. like you don't really touch it that much. Right. And that's kind of why I talked about the buildings that I love so much because they're buildings mm -hmm. that you really do experience with all of your senses. Right. Yeah. When you talk yeah. about a barn, yeah. like so much of a barn is the smell. Right. Exactly. And yeah. even like, uh, yeah. The, and I mean, I can, I can smell hay 
right? right. I can smell yeah. hay and straw when you're talking about that in animals, right. you know, and the, the damp, wood. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The damp smell and the sound of walking in a cloister. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what, so, but there are more senses than just your visual senses. Mm-hmm. So where are we going with architecture where I'm so tired of seeing AI architecture on Instagram. It's like, oh, wow, that thing that either looks like, you know, Maxfield Parish or some inflated thing or something covered with feathers. Um, and now I'm probably sounding like a codger. But in a weird way, um, it's just an expansion of, of the abstraction. Hmm. Like architecture already is very abstract to a certain degree, I think, which is kind of unfortunate maybe, but like when you think about it, how many times do you go into a space now in the world of architecture that we make where you're impacted by the smell or the sound, like in a good way, (laughs) like not in in a loud, like cacophonous echo chamber that's an assault (laughs) on your senses. Like where do you where do you actually experience architecture that is that is all of those senses, and you know, so like I think about that that world of AI and and I'm I'm not interested in it per se. I think I would use I would totally use it as a tool to do presentations, right? Um, yeah. Because wow, yeah. if I could create those presentations more easily than I could before. Um, hmm. But I think it's re- that to show it to the client. It's reducing, yeah. yeah, it's reducing architecture even more to just the visual. And yeah, you know, we live in an age, yeah. whatever the last hundred fifty years or however long that we've had the world of photography. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I find I think what's really interesting in the world of interior design, like somewhere around the eighties or nineties, and now it's like everything's gray. Right. Everything that you see in interior (laughs) designer is it's almost like it's in black and white. And it's funny because when you look at the designs that were done in the 90s that were sort of inspired by the deco period and early modern interior design, they were looking at black and white books. And sometimes you see the (laughs) rare photo of a Jean-Michel Frank room and it was like an emerald green sofa and gold straw marquetry and these rich, vibrant (laughs) colors. But we've been so influenced by the world of photography and not the real thing that we've created this kind of totally neutral aesthetic. Um, you know, That's it's funny, devoid. my daughter... Uh, it's devoid of color and devoid of all of those other sort of senses. So uh, like, I, I don't know where it's heading. I actually think maybe there's, you know, it's happening, it's whatever. And I grew up totally, you know, glued to the television as a child, right? So it's not like I'm anti-media. Um, but I maybe, like, architecture, you know, can help us stay human, instead of become androids if we can find a way to bring back the light and the sound and the smell and the those temperature qualities and you know 
all of this. I, I can remember um, Kelly when she was little. She asked. She must have been looking at black and white photos or a black and white movie, and she asked me when when did the world turn to color? <laughs> oh my god, that's amazing. <laughs> Really little. I mean, and these are things like, yeah. right? Like one time, you know, it was raining, and she says it's raining like tears, right? It's like from a three-year-old, but of course, right. she was raised around a bunch of artists. Maybe right. she, she was, she was gathering way more information. But, but I mean, and and she is, she is a photographer, and some of her stuff is black and white, but most of it is is color. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, we're looking at these images that were black and white, and then we like think like, oh, okay, you know, when when meanwhile, you know, it was it was actually right. There's a lot of color in it. Like, um, think of like what's like a place that you go to, and it's it's just much more colorful than than what it than what it actually. And actually, you think of it, but anyway, I'll, I'll like think of it. But um, yeah, I I think also too. I mean, I mean, I used to. I don't. Know, did you ever sew? Um, I have. You know, in junior high, uh -huh. I made a plaid vest for barbershop quartet. Um, we had a neighbor <laughs> who was a neighbor who was like the neighborhood seamstress. Um, yes. Yes. Me that. Yeah. Yeah. My mom, my mom used to sew a lot of our clothes when we were younger okay. until like I got in the fifth grade. And then I'm like, oh, I'm not, you know, so it's like I had like, you know, I mean, like she like she would make these amazing things. And of course, I just, you know, hated them. Right. And and, um, you know, because I just wanted this crappy stuff that you can buy in the store or whatever. And then, after, you know, right. fifth grade, and then when I look back at these photos of us and she had made like these little Nehru jackets for my brother and <laughs> I out of like patterned corduroy. <laughs> you were absolutely <laughs> I mean it was really great so for for me it's like being around that and being around fabric and textiles right. you know for me it's like I see like I wanted you know like I designed my wedding dress right but I wanted to design it the way you know and it's like I went and looked at you know different things and I did you know I wanted silk taffeta as opposed to like other taffeta that was a you know it's like because of the way that you know at, at the way that it looked right i mean right. you know it it feels different it looks different right um and you know velvet is like there's a million different velvets right it's like stuff is right. thin it's like thicker it has more weight to it it can hold you know it it will um it will hang differently i mean just the same way as clothes right it hangs differently it drapes differently you know how are you going to create that you know, that look of something with fashion, like how are you going to create that detail in fashion? How are you going to create right. that detail in interiors? You know, with the same thing. Well, even in an and, and, you know, yeah. nothing, yeah, nothing bothers me more than like calling up to, to like ask about a product or whatever. And then they say like, oh, well, just look at our website. And I'm like, no, I want a sample. It's like, I cannot tell the color of that on the website. Like even, right. even, you know, Sherwin-Williams will do the color mix thing every year. And it's like you're looking up there and, you know, you're watching a video of paint and that the paint colors are not. I mean, you know, it's like you'll look at the paint colors for like all these different ads and it's different. They're all different shades. Right. Because that's the way it looks and it's not the tree. And then, you know, when I when you put paint on, you know, oh, how are we going to pick paint? And I'm like, you don't pick paint from like a tiny swatch. I said you have to put right. it on the building. 
But then you have to put it on the building. But, well, can I not do that? No, you can't not do that because you're right. going to paint that whole building and it's not going to work. Like that color is not going to work because what you see here isn't going to look, you know, it's like, what is it going to look like in the light? How is that? How is the light going to affect that color? You know, it's like, where where are you? Right. Like, you know, we're in Southern California, right? You're in Chicago now. I mean, it's the, there's a world of difference between the colors in those different environments, right? It's like, you know, all of the bright colors that you see in Scandinavia, you know, right? It's because it's gray there most of the right. time, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, now I'm like looking at a lot of the dark colors they're putting in the interiors and skin out. And I was like, oh my gosh, like it's going to, you know, I mean, it's, during the winter, it's like dark from some, you know, I'm like wondering how people are, you know, and I mean, it looks beautiful. It looks moody and everything, but to live in that space the whole time is probably going to be pretty dismal. <laughs> you need a variety. You need a variety. Exactly. And in yeah. Wisconsin, yeah. I had yellow linen shears and they really warmed up the space. Yeah. In those winter months. <laughs> um, <laughs> One of my friends is in, uh, he grew up in Southern California. He's in Portland for five months working on a project up there. And he was saying that he was like, I, I just can't believe I, it's, it's gray all the time. And I'm like, yeah, it was gray. Like when I, I said, when I looked, when, when we were looking at different places to move from LA, I was looking at the climate and all the different places and how many cloudy days there were. And so we were thinking about Seattle at one point. You know, and I said, well, it's supposed to rain in Seattle. Oh, you know, it's supposed to... And then I looked and the amount of gray days was actually higher in Pittsburgh than it was in Seattle. And I said, oh, I guess I could probably live in Seattle. No problem. I've already done it. <laughs> <laughs> and I've lived in Denmark. So it's like... <laughs> but I mean, I do like the sun, right? I go like two days or whatever. We have rain now. And it's it's like, you know, I'm like, okay. Like, you know, like, luckily it's peeking in and out. But... Um, so is there anything else you'd like to say, Tim? Oh, I don't know, Michelle. <laughs> um, I could talk forever, but I'm not going to. Uh, thank you. Um, I'll say thank you. And, well, thank you. Thank you. I had a great time. Yeah. Now I'm, uh, yeah. Now I got, fi I was finally able to get Tim. Um, when he didn't have a uh, an NDA for any of the places that he worked at. Oh, right. <laughs> Where he's actually yeah. allowed to do a podcast with me. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Thanks, Tim. Thank and um, I'd like to, again, thank Priority Door and Window for sponsoring this podcast. Thank you.